Good evening, everybody, and once again, I want to welcome you back to our 13th session of Unlock Revelation. Frequently, people ask, what part does the United States play in the end times? So tonight, our topic is going to be the U.S. and Bible prophecy. Let's begin with prayer. Gracious Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us. As we discuss this subject, this topic, we pray that you will truly help us to see our time and our place in the world and in the uh, prophetic timetable of the coming of the Lord. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to mention that I'm one of those old-fashioned flag wavers. I am a very patriotic person. I'm very proud of my country. Not that our country is perfect, but let's just say that it's far ahead of whatever comes in second place. It's better than the alternatives, shall I say. A few years ago, I was giving a series of meetings in the country of Romania, and obviously a communist country, and this subject was a little difficult to, to really uh, get across because obviously their perspective of America is different from ours and their interpretation on some of the things that we do is not necessarily what I would agree with. But I'm proud of my country, but there are some things I have to admit the Bible does speak directly to. And so tonight, as we discuss the United States and Bible prophecy, I just want to review a little bit with you the history of our nation. The United States of America, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I'm old enough to remember when the words under God was not in the Pledge of Allegiance. How many of you remember that? Okay, now I know how old you are, too. <laughs> okay. I remember, I think I was in fifth grade when they put that in. We used to say it the same way before. We would say one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And then when I was in fifth grade, they put that under God in there. And truly, God has blessed and led, I do believe, in the development of this nation. This nation, about 500 years ago, in the 15th century, when Christopher Columbus came, we find the foundation of this nation being laid. It wasn't until Ponce de Leon, in 1513, discovered what is now called Florida, that we really began to develop what we refer to as the... Uh, the territory that became part of the United States. It consisted in time of British, Dutch, Spanish, even Russians were involved in building up this country. It eventually led to 13 colonies. At that time, there were only about 3 million people in the United States. We were under British rule until we decided that we had no representation. And so the United States withdrew and developed the nation that we know today. In 1776, a committee was formed of five men to draw up the Declaration of Independence. Those men were John Adams of Massachusetts, Benjamin Franklin of Philadelphia, Thomas Jefferson of Virginia, Robert Livingston of New York, and Roger Sherman of Connecticut. And of course, Jefferson was the one who had to do the actual writing. These points were debated in the first draft. They were debated. Many things were revised. As a matter of fact, there were some points that were removed from what Jefferson had originally written until finally on July 4th, it was passed by the Continental Congress. The document wasn't perfect, 
but it laid the foundation for the Constitution that would come along a little bit later. This document said in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And what were those? That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you ever notice that the more you pursue happiness, the more it eludes you? Happiness is an ethereal thing. And if we pursue happiness for selfish purposes, it can never be satisfied. It always wants more. The way we pursue happiness is by thinking of other people and reaching out to meet their needs. Reaching out to serve God. That's how we develop true happiness. It wasn't long before that lady in the harbor we received from France. She said this, which is written on the uh, statue. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift up my lamp beside the golden door. These are the words welcoming people to this nation to help build it. Even our, our money began to take on an acknowledgement that God played a part in the development of our nation. In the dollar bill, in God we trust. My friends, I wish that we would always and all people would trust in God. The United States, having such a profound influence on the world today, you might expect that you'd find references to it in the Bible. And you do. We had many famous men who have served in the office of presidency, building this nation. And as this nation began to grow, its influence began to expand, not only in this continent, but around the world. So we would expect that the United States would be mentioned in Bible prophecy. Not all nations are. As a matter of fact, you won't find the Bible referring to Costa Rica, Australia, Bangladesh. Why? Because these nations did not have a profound impact on the people of God. It does mention nations that have had or do have a profound impact. We find that Abraham, he came from Ur of the Chaldees. That's mentioned in the scriptures. We find also that Moses came out of Egypt and the Egyptians were persecuting the people of God. We find that the Babylonians also took God's people into captivity for 70 years, seven decades. And it was under the Medo-Persians that they were released to go back home again, to build up Jerusalem and prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Then along came Alexander and the Greeks. And the Greeks also began to persecute the people of God under Antiochus Epiphanes and others. We find also when Jesus came on the scene, what power was in, in control then? Rome. And all this time, the people of God were being persecuted. When the Roman Empire fell in 476 AD, officially, and Europe broke up into the ten nations of Europe, we find that once again, they began to persecute people. Out of one of these nations would arise, according to the book of Daniel, a little horn. That little horn power would cause 
those who didn't agree with him to be persecuted. And in the book of Revelation, John refers to that same little horn power. Only he refers to it as the beast of Revelation. And as we look at this, America has a place that's unique in, among the nations of the world. Even the Australians recognize that. In September 2002, not long after the Twin Towers came down, remember when the Twin Towers came down, how people united together, regardless of their political affiliations, their nationalities, the religion, they united together. And the churches became filled. And people once again began to exalt patriotism. But notice what it says here in the uh, Sydney Morning Herald of that year. Americans should admit the truth and face up to their responsibilities as the undisputed masters of the world. Fact is, no country has been as dominant culturally, economically, technologically, and militarily in the history of the world since the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, the United States is the last superpower in the world. Russia is trying to get that back again. We've lost some ground. But we are still the number one superpower. But you see, way back in the time of Daniel, there was another superpower, Babylon. And we referred to that when we studied the image in Daniel 2. We find that Babylon that ruled the world from 605 to 538 B.C. is mentioned. And then they, in turn, were replaced by the Medes and the Persians from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. Just as God had predicted. And then after uh, the Medo-Persians came Greece in 331 to 168 B.C. Again, the hand of God was leading among the nations. And each of these nations had an interaction with the people of God until finally Rome comes along in 168 B.C. to 476 A.D. And we find that the Roman Empire, of course, was divided. There was Christian Rome and pagan Rome. There was the Eastern Roman Empire. There was the Western Roman Empire. And so we find that when the uh, Roman Empire in the West fell in 476, it broke into nations, ten different nations. And those nations, again, were persecuting the people of God. Why? Because that little horn power, when the feet of Rome divided into ten nations, it, this beast power rose up from among them. The little horn power and this composite beast power is the same. It comes up, and notice, it has multiple heads on it. It says, And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. No, a leopard. Hmm. That's an interesting beast seems to me that it's mentioned elsewhere. His feet were like the feet of a bear. And then it goes on to say, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. It was the devil who gave him this authority. He was different from any other beast that had come along. And notice what it says in 13, verse 3. By the way, chapter 13 is a very interesting chapter, if you haven't read it before. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. 
and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Now, if this beast, which we will identify in a meeting that's coming up shortly, that's a separate topic, who the beast's power is or what it is. And notice it says, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. The question is, what makes them follow the beast? What, what compels them to do that? Look at 13.4 and it says, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Who can stand up against him? Notice two words here. Worshipped and worshipped. This beast power would not only have political power, it would also have spiritual power. Struggling for spiritual dominance. But how does it come about that men should worship or pay respect or obedience to it? Let's look further. Look at 1311. And I beheld another beast. Now this is not the first beast. This isn't the first one we saw. This is a second beast that comes up. And it says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. Now, the first beast came up out of the water, came up out of the sea. In Bible prophecy, water or the sea represents a populated area. It represents people, nations, okay? But the earth is a barren territory. It's an empty land. So this second beast, instead of coming up among the nations that uh, were existing at the collapse of the Roman Empire, it comes up afterwards, and it doesn't come up in the Roman Empire. It comes up in a, an empty wilderness area. Okay? And it had two horns. Now, the other one had a bunch of horns. This had two horns. Notice, it said two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Isn't that inconsistent? I mean, I thought lambs were cuddly things, but how could it speak like a dragon? And the dragon, of course, represents Satan. The lamb, I thought the lamb was Jesus. But notice, is this saying that this second beast is Jesus? No. It says it would be lamb-like. In some respects, it would be loving and kind and lamb-like. But something is going to change. There's a transition that will take place. And it spoke like a dragon. It began to force its will. Now, how does a nation speak? A nation speaks through its laws, right? So apparently, the laws that were once kind and loving, now it starts to pass laws that are oppressive. And the oppressive laws, some of the laws anyway, I'm not saying all of them, but some of the laws are those that are religiously oriented. Now, obviously, every nation needs to have laws. If you have some off-the-wall uh, religion that says you can go around killing people, I mean, the government might have to take a little bit more exercise on that. But what does it mean? It means that this would impose religious worship the second power that would come up. Well, we need to ask ourselves, when our nation first started out, it was a nation of immigrants. People from all over the world were welcome here, invited here. But as it said in this uh, Revelation thirteen eleven, it said that it had two horns. What were the two horns? One, church, the other, state. The separation of church and state. Notice it doesn't have a crown on it. 
It doesn't have a king. As a matter of fact, if you remember your history books, back in the 1800s, they used to talk a lot about America being a nation without a king and without a pope. Without a a religious leader and without a monarch. It came up as a republic that was designed to govern with the will of the people. A democratic republic. The United States is not a true democracy. A true democracy means that the majority of the people plus one. Well, majority is 50% plus one. Whatever 50% plus one wants, that's the law. Okay? In a true democracy. Uh, In a republic, you elect representatives. And they are the ones who are to uh, govern and to uh, make laws. And so we find here, it was to be a nation without a religious leader and without a, a monarch. It made it different than many of the nations in Europe, which blended church and state. As a matter of fact, if you look over in Iran today, where the Ayatollah, the religious leader, is the boss over the government, even over the head of the secular nation, you get chaos, you get oppression. There's nothing more oppressive than a religio political power. Could it be that the United States, which started out as separation of church and state, welcoming people from all lands, now becomes oppressive and starts to move in a direction that is negative? As people come in, they come in with all different backgrounds. They come in with all different religions. And that's good. But you know, people are to have religious freedom. But when the government starts dictating that religion, you've crossed the line. Remember that forced religion is always bad religion. Forced religion is always bad religion. Because God wants us to give our heart to him. He wants us to serve him because we love him, not because we're afraid if we don't. And so we find that this new nation that's mentioned there, it would arise in a sparsely populated area. It was a young nation. It came up after the others. It came up after the beast power. There was no monarch. It would assume a position in the world as a worldwide influence. We see that in our nation today and in the world. As a matter of fact, a place that was founded upon freedom of religion and freedom of government, but according to what we read in the Bible, there's going to be a change. And that change will come over the heart of that nation Let's look at Revelation 13:11. In Revelation 13:11 again it repeats, "And behold another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon." Now what would make a nation change and start speaking like a a dragon? What would make it legislate laws that would force religion? Force religious laws. Look at 13.12. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. We'll talk about the, the deadly wound and its healing when we discuss the beast itself, the first beast. We're kind of, you know, it's kind of strange to be talking about the second beast before you talk about the first beast you see but there's a reason why we're doing it in this order because when we get to the other power you'll understand why but notice it says that the first beast received a deadly wound 
Over in Europe, people were persecuted because of their religious beliefs. So what happened? They fled Europe to get away from those persecutions. Where did they go to? They went to the New World where they would have freedom from kings and religious leaders who would persecute them. And thus, what started out to be a refuge for persecution now starts to enforce the same type of persecutions that were experienced in Europe. Many churches grew up, and churches are beautiful buildings and so forth are are wonderful. But we need to be careful because nowadays people are talking about let's unite all the churches together. And different churches have different beliefs. When you start uniting them, what happens? Somebody has to compromise. And what are we going to compromise on? Are we going to compromise on the things we share in common? Probably not. We're going to compromise on our differences. Now, that's fine when it comes to things like traditions. But when it comes to the Word of God and what the Scripture says, we cannot compromise on what the Scripture says. So what's going to happen when we start uniting? And Have you ever noticed that the many politicians are very religious nowadays? Very religious nowadays. You, when you start getting religion into politics and politics into religion for the sake of uniting people, they will unite around things that, they, that benefit them the most. And so we find that when that happens, they will put down people who differ from them. They will start imposing laws that look good outside. Now, what event brings this about? Could it be a, a natural event? Just matter of fact, just today, wasn't it? And yesterday in Japan, they had two gigantic earthquakes. Remember we were talking before about earthquakes coming more frequently and stronger? They had two very strong earthquakes. And we're still trying to get the news of what's happening there. They're expecting a tsunami now as a result of those earthquakes. It shows us the times in which we live. Maybe it will be a natural disaster that brings about the circumstances that people will unite behind. For instance, when the Twin Towers came down, people united together. They became religious For the sake of unity, are they going to become religious and are they going to unite around man-made laws? Are they going to unite around laws that will govern or dictate religion? We need to be careful of that. They may sound good at first with all the crime that's going on, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if some of these laws that are passed will be for the purpose of building up the family. The family needs time together. Let's set aside a certain time for the family. Let's set aside one day a week for the family. And those that's the time Everybody gets off work. Nobody can work on that day because we've got to build up the family. We've got to build morality into these kids. Sounds good on the outside. The only problem is, are we forcing religious perspectives? And what day of the week will that be, you see? The, the Muslims worship on Friday. We find the Jews and many Christian groups like Seventh-day Adventists, Seventh-day Baptists, Seventh-day Pentecostals, and many others worship on Saturday. And then Baptists and Catholics and, and uh, Presbyterians worship on Sunday. So which day, 
whose religion are we going to violate so that we can make one day of worship where the whole family can be together? And is that day going to be for the family or is it going to be worshiping God? When governments start dictating religious laws, somebody gets trampled on. We have reason to believe that the ecumenical movement is moving in this direction. And we find that many of the politicians are moving in that direction. What's ahead for America? What will it take? In Romans 13, 16 it says, And he causes both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark in their right hand and on their foreheads. In the right hand and on the forehead. Hmm. What does that mean? And what's the mark? We're going to talk about the mark in a future meeting. Coming up, not very far ahead. But notice that it affects everyone. It can affect the president of the United States all the way down to the guy who sweeps the uh, trash in, in the street. It doesn't discriminate against a person's position or power. This, When such a law is passed, it will force everyone to accept the mark of the beast. Now, to receive the mark in his right hand and in his forehead... What's behind here? What's behind your forehead? Your frontal lobe. This is where you make your decisions. This is where you you think. This is actually where you pray. This is the communication center between you and God. So what is this saying? It's saying that they would receive the mark in their right hand and in their forehead. Now, if your thinking sets in a certain direction, what do you think your hand's going to do? It's your brain that tells your hand what to do. So your, your thoughts and your deeds will be to support the beast and the mark or the, the legislation or the... the uh, the religious law that he promotes. And again, we'll get into that later. Look at Revelation thirteen seventeen, And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. We're going to get into the number, how to calculate the number and the name and so forth when we get to that lesson on the mark of the beast. But notice it says, no one may buy or sell. What does that imply? There's going to be economic pressure. You see. Let's say we pass a law. You have to work on Wednesday. And you say, I don't want to work on Wednesday. I don't believe God wants me to work on Wednesday. Your boss says, either you work on Wednesday or you're fired. Wouldn't that put a little bit of economic pressure on you? And if you don't shop for work this Wednesday, okay, we'll bear with you. But you better be here the next week because there's a law against this. And you could be fined. Well, you say, okay, I'll take the fine. All right. But the next time you don't show up, not only have you lost your job and you've gotten a fine, but now you'll be put in jail if you Continue to break it. And finally, the scripture says that there will be a death penalty ultimately attached as we study further in the Mark of the Beast. We'll get into that. Do you realize that in Virginia there are some obsolete laws on the book? Unless they've taken it off, there's one that goes way back to the 1600s. That says if you repeatedly work on Sunday, you can be put to death. There's a death penalty attached to it. You wouldn't have to make new laws. You just have to revive old ones that are already in place. 
you see. All you have to do is enforce religious laws. And what would it do? Instead of forcing morality, people would comply out of fear instead of out of love. And so we say here that no matter what your position may be, you'll be affected by it. Now, a lot of people are looking at the mark of the beast. And the scripture talks about 666. We'll tell you later a little bit more about that. But look here. Many people think, well, this is a computer. Matter of fact, we had a question that came up a little while ago about a computer code, a computer number. And we find that this don't get mixed up between the vehicle and what the the uh, mark of the beast is. You see, the devil may use a variety of different things that we're not familiar with. He may use a computer to help you not to be able to buy or sell. You can do that now. Go into a bank, and if you're, uh, well, let's say you're a criminal, and the FBI says to the uh, bank manager, we have reason to believe that this person is dealing in drugs or something. We want his bank account frozen. Beep. All he has to do is push a button and your bank account is frozen, right? But does that mean the bank is the mark of the beast? No, it's only the vehicle, you see. It's the vehicle to force you to do something. If I get economic pressure on me and I say, I'm not going to do this particular thing because it's against the law of God. Let's say it's abortion. Okay? I'm not going to have an abortion because it's against the law of God. All right. But what happens if they say, well, if you don't get an abortion, bing, we just take you out of the computer. Economic pressure. You lose your job. We'll take your kids away from you. Economic pressure. What is the purpose of this vehicle is to pressure you into accepting the mark of the beast. And this is the same with the day of worship. Because don't forget, we're talking about worship. When the government starts to enforce a day of worship that contradicts the commandments of God. It's, there will be economic pressure placed upon you. I don't care if it's a computer or whatever the thing may be. It will force you. You have to go along with it. And those who don't, those who stand up against that and stand up for the cause of God will find themselves in very tight straits. Now, God could rapture us out of that and we wouldn't have to worry about that. But God doesn't. He doesn't. He goes with us through that and helps his people. He fortifies his people and strengthens them. Look in Revelation thirteen fifteen. And he had power to give life to the image of the beast. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now you may say, we're not going to uh, impose a death penalty on people because of the day they keep. I want you to know that I have some material at home from a man in Massachusetts who says that We will first labor with people. We will, if they, we will find them if they do not uh, obey. And that if that doesn't work, we will imprison them. And he says, ultimately, we may have to have a death penalty. You see, already there are those proposing these kind of things. It's not far beyond our imagination. What was once prophecy 
is now current events. How far in the future is this? We have to wait and find out. Many as would not worship the image of the beast would be killed. So that's great pressure for people to go along with the, the agenda. The book of Daniel again refers to this as the little horn power. And as we look at Daniel, I can't help but think of the pressure that Daniel must have been under when he either had to submit to the command that says, we will not worship any other god for a month except the king. Well, Daniel, every day, three times a day, he would go up to his window, open it toward Jerusalem, and he would pray to the God of heaven. You see. And you can be sure his enemies had their spies stationed around, watching him. But did it alter his, his uh, practice? No. Daniel knew that it could mean his life. Because if he prayed to any other god except the king, he would be thrown in the lion's den. But Daniel nonetheless stayed faithful and he continued his practice in harmony with the will of God. Daniel was arrested. He was thrown down into that lion's pit. But God went with him. He sent his angels to shut the mouth of the lion, to deliver his faithful servant. My friends, when the pressure comes upon us, God will be with us. Even a boss, you may say, oh, I want to keep the Sabbath, but my boss won't let me off. Did you ever ask him? He may do that. It may be that the Lord went before you and touched his heart. It may be that he has already prepared the way, but we're too timid to ask. And even if he says no, did you ever notice that when the Lord shuts a door, he usually opens a window? He usually finds some other alternative for you. On the plains of Dora, King Nebuchadnezzar, when he had seen in Daniel 2 this huge image, and we talked about this last time, that he didn't like the interpretation. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He builds an image to what he saw in the dream. He builds a statue that looks like it. But this time it's all gold to show that he, his kingdom, will last forever. And when the music sounds and everybody was commanded to bow down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down to it. As a result, there were those who were very readily willing to tell the king, uh, remember those Hebrew slaves that you educated and put over us as uh, authorities over us? You see how they like to dig in there, you know? You are the one who put these guys over us, and now they're disobeying you. They're making you look foolish before the nation. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was under a bit of pressure here. He didn't like to be defied either, by the way. Uh, he was known to have a tad bit of a, uh, a fit about things now and then. And so what did he do? He says, all right, I'll give you a second chance. When we play the music again, you bow down. And... Notice the reply that they gave to him. They said, O king, we are not careful to answer in this matter. And what it means is, we're, we are not careful. It means we're not going to hesitate. We're, we're going to be upfront with you on this. Our God, if he wants to, can save us from out of the fiery furnace. If he wants us to die, no problem. But we are not going to disobey God. We're not going to bow down to your image. 
image. Now, I want you to notice something here. These men took a stand. And in the time when these things developed that we're talking about, by the way, it hasn't happened yet. It's still before us. But when this happens, God is going to be looking for people who will take a stand on the side of right because it is right. Because it is what God wants. And they're willing to put themselves aside. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they upset the king. And as a result, they had to face the fiery furnace. But again, Nebuchadnezzar threw in three men. But when he looked in, there were four. These men were not raptured away. They went through the tribulation. They went through the time of trouble. But God went with them and delivered them. In these last days, God will go through with those who are determined to do his will. If God delivers us, praise the Lord. But if not, we're still going to do what's right because it is right. Even if it means my life, the next thing I'll see is Jesus. He will deliver me. This was the hope that they had. This is the hope that the people have in the last days. That Jesus will strengthen them. My friends, I don't know how or when these events are going to happen. My beloved country, as much as I love my beloved country, the prophecy indicates that there's going to be a change from what once was to what will be. Have you noticed a lot of angry people today? Have you noticed a lot of turmoil, religious, political, and so forth? All we need is an event or a leader who can unite them, and it will sound good. Hey, if we all get right with the Lord, and if we all go to church on the same day, if we all believe the same thing, then God will bless our nation, and we'll go forward to prosperity. And we'll be the leaders of the world. My friends, that's great. But what are we uniting around? Are we uniting around the word of God? Or are we saying, well, we'll unite together. You may believe certain uh, uh, sexual practices are okay, and you say they're not. But that's all right. We need to be pluralistic and tolerant. Have you heard uh, recently, uh, I think it was out in Utah, that there's a law there now that they're, they're striking down against plural marriages? It, because it infringes upon people's religious liberties. So, what does that mean? Does that mean now I can marry three wives? You can see the chaos that's coming into society. And so shall the government intervene and dictate what we shall believe? And if so, whose standard will it be? Who's going to set that standard? We need to be careful. It's not the beast, you see. Or else we will be, we will be building an image to the beast. And notice with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and with Daniel... With Daniel, what was being attacked, what was being attacked was religious worship, and it was the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was the second commandment, not to bow down to images. Does that mean that when religious laws are passed, that it will again attack a commandment of God. And you know what? I believe it's not only going to be attacking the fourth commandment, 
but I think it will be attacking the other commandments that are above it too. Because if you break one, it's as though you've broken them all. And remember that those commandments that deal with worshiping God are the ones that are on that first tablet. The ones on the second tablet usually refer to our relationship to our fellow men. So in order to unite our fellow men, they attack the commandments that relate to God. All I know, my friends, is what the scripture tells me and what appears to be in the future. When we talk about the beast power and the mark of the beast, I think some of this will come into focus because it's the second beast who will accept authority of the first beast and enforce it by law. And because of their example, because of the second beast's example and its power throughout the world, it sets the tone for the rest of the world to follow. You see? I hope I didn't lose you all on this. But you can see how such a thing can develop. And frankly, I think the wheels are already in motion. I'm not saying we're there yet. Don't misunderstand me. But last events can come quickly. How quickly the Berlin Wall fell. How quickly some of the things in more recent history, boom, 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 they happened when we least expected it. It can happen again. And God is looking for a people who will cling to him, who will do what's right, and say, Lord, come what may. I want you in my heart. I want to live your perfect will. I want to give myself to you. And watch and be ready. Watch and be faithful. That we will not be led astray. By the grace of God, how many of you want to watch and be ready and invite Jesus into your heart to give you the strength you need? May God bless you. Let's have prayer together. Gracious Father, thank you for your blessings and your mercies. Help us, Lord, to stand for the right though the heavens fall. Fill us with your spirit. And Lord, we pray that you'll bless our nation. Help us to have religious liberty as long as possible. Please preserve our Constitution, even though our Constitution is being attacked in so many different directions. And before this mark of the beast can come, before we can see the enforcement of religious laws, the Constitution will have to fall. And Lord, we ask that you will bless our nation and help us to reach as many people as possible and help them to stand fast for truth. Now again, we ask for your leading and guidance and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.